Before we start, John, it's December. This is Discount December. We're going to give 10% discount on Patreon. And what you get for following us on Patreon is three things. Ad-free podcasts twice a week. You get two macroeconomic courses, not just one, two free. And also from January, I'm going to be answering questions once a fortnight. We're going to have an online macro session. And if you want to go up a level with us, you get a 10% discount for signing up on Patreon right now in December. Patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It's podcast time. John and I have been out of the country, <laughs> feeling feeling like renegades leaving the country. And uh, we have been on a little bit of a jolly. John's been in London. I've been in Sweden and Stockholm. We'll tell you all about this and that. I hope you are well. Hope all is going well. And you can kind of, look, we're going to avoid it, aren't we, John? Yeah. Yeah. You were going to mention that C word, weren't you? I was. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Mac, seriously. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of of COVID, but I'm also sick of talking about it. And I'm sick of other people talking about it. And That's why you have to go to Sweden where yeah, no one talks about <laughs> yeah. it. And actually in, in London, they didn't talk about it that much, although they were bringing in the big restrictions when I was there. What are the Brit restrictions? I love the Brit restrictions. Are they, are they heavy or are they not really? Well, no, no, they were the, the usual stuff. You have to wear masks on the tube and in shops. And, and people, yeah. by and large, are are keeping to that. But uh, I also read in the Metro or whatever it was that there was a whole lot of people thrown off trains. For not wearing masks. For not wearing masks, which was quite surprising for London. It is surprising from London because I always thought London was very live and let live and on the COVID thing was much more tolerant and much more. Yeah. You know what? Look, if it's up to you. If you don't want to get it, don't go out. Isn't that the kind of... Yeah. That's the, that was definitely the, the... The attitude in Sweden was phenomenal in the sense that... Everywhere people are out. They're not asking for COVID passports at all. Oh, really? No, 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 no. They just assuming that everyone's vaccinated. Right. All bars are open. All clubs are open. All restaurants are open. There doesn't seem to be any social distancing. As they said to myself, they said, oh, the social distancing. They were, they said, they asked. <laughs> I, I love the Swedish they, they, said, they said, they asked us to keep two meters apart. But we said, well, what's wrong with five? 
because they never fucking talk to each other because yeah. they're so cold. <laughs> we don't, we don't. We, we're, they said, we, we are lifelong social distancers. <laughs> but they were, it, was, it was great. It was phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. I did a gig for the Irish Chamber of Commerce over there, which is lovely. Right. It was a you know, mm. lovely gig. There's lots and lots of Swedes, lots and lots of Irish people. And big shout out. Thank you very much. Lots of compliments of the podcast. Loads of these people listen to it over there. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Kind it's of, like Norway as well. It is kind of mad. And I tell you, I was at a gig last night in Dublin in the Academy. I'll tell you all about the last gig of the year Ooh. before it all closed down. It was Lucy was supporting Maliki. You know, Brilliant. Lucy and Maliki yeah. wrote a song together, Fair Play, yeah. last year. Great track. And that was a great, that kind of propelled both of their kind of launched, yeah. launched both of their careers. So, so she was supporting, but I'll tell you all that, that in a second. But also at the gig, lots and lots of really young people yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. saying, Love the podcast. Lucy was going, it's my gig. <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so. She was, <laughs> yeah, it's my gig, not yours. Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. But uh, Sweden, interesting thing, feels, you feel like you're in the country of the future. It feels really? like this is the way the world is going. That this, if a country of the future existed, it would be Sweden. Wow. And, and I really felt Tell us, that. explain that. Just the way in which everything works, the trains work phenomenally well, the people are incredibly, they seem to be incredibly tolerant of each other. They have a huge, huge immigrant population. They've always said it's very liberal. But we have this something really odd, which I think is fantastic. They have this deep socialist social welfare system. Mm. They have high taxes, incredibly good public services, right? Yeah. But they also have this libertarian side to them, which is, don't tell me what to do. So it's a very strange combination because normally with high taxes and with high public services, yeah. there also goes a sort of a communitaire collective that, you know, ultimately we will we will basically do everything together, right? Mm. But there what you seem to get is this high taxes, incredibly brilliant welfare state, but this slightly screw you libertarian attitude in the way they behave. So the great one is the COVID thing. They're yeah. basically saying, look, we know what it is. The government's telling what it is, how you get it, where you get it. Make your mind up. Yeah, you don't want to get it. Yeah. Don't go to those places. And the interesting thing again is Sweden has got the most extravagant welfare state in the world. It also has the highest percentage of billionaires per head almost in the world. Higher than the United States. Wow. So you remember Mike Fertig was saying, you know, that basically in, in the United States, we reward winners and that's yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah. actually the Swedes have the highest percentage of billionaires in the world and the best welfare system. And what they seem to have clicked is a weird soft spot or sweet spot between creating a really, really efficient, productive, profitable economy and a really brilliant welfare state. But isn't the right on the rise over there? Yeah, it is on the rise and, they, and they're aware of that. Mm. But I mean, the underlying Swedish model is probably the elixir for all left or centre-left people yeah, because yeah. it has been so liberal so accommodative, so much driven by high public spending. So, for example, I'm always intrigued by how many Swedish startups there are and why they seem to be so far ahead in technology. And then once we... Yeah, I mean, it's companies like Spotify and Ericsson, all these yeah, companies yeah. are really, really far ahead. And, 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 and you really notice that there. Like, so, for example, it's a cashless society. There's no cash. Okay. Everything is done through your card or through your phone. Everything. Like, so I don't know what a Swedish krona note looks like because I never took one out of the wall. Right. Because you don't have to. And it was just said, one of the said, we were talking about, you know, Swedish and technology. And they said, well, in the 80s, the Swedish government paid for every house to have a subsidized laptop. 
one cup computer, a PC. Right. So they gave them away. So you have all these Swedes, and, and I think the general Scandinavians who are incredibly computer literate. Yeah. At a very, very young age. And there's a big hacking culture there. Anyway, the point is, what I found fascinating was that it seemed to me to be a country, their attitude to COVID was, as you said, they don't talk about it. Mm. You know? And I was actually talking to the SAS woman when I was flying out, because of course, coming back into Ireland, you need an antigen, a PCR test. Yeah. And this, this, oh, and, that was such and she a just pain. looked at me and she was, she, she was probably in her mid 60s. She was on the reception of SAS. She goes, it's a very tiresome. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it was. You need to work on that accent. I know, but it doesn't matter. That's what it sounded like to me. But so that was my, that was my, that was my Swedish trip. And then last night, because I know you have a, you have a London trip to tell me about. Last mm. night I was at this gig in the Academy and it was just great to see. There's a thousand people there. It was a full on performance. It was really, really good. And Lucy, again, Lucy got a great review. Of yeah, me. she got a great review in, in Hot Press and Maliki, you know, which is basically Matthew and Hugh, yeah. Hugh being the lead singer and the, and the main man. It was an extraordinary performance. He's a, a fantastic, fantastic frontman. Brilliant. And you need that. You, know, you yeah, need to get yeah, the crowd yeah, yeah. going. You could just see that these are they're, they're like they're 20, 21, they're young. Yeah, as opposed to, I actually went to a gig during the week on Wednesday. I went to see James, who I love. I've oh, always loved him. That was in the O2, them. wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, the Point. And, oh, sorry, yes, The Point. But they were supported by the Happy Mondays. Oh, I'd love to see the Happy Mondays. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. no, no they no. were terrible. I thought they were... Just terrible. But I mean, they've got some... Bez was still doing his thing. But with Sean Ryder, could he sing? It, no. That's, <laughs> a, that's the thing. His voice was shite. His, he didn't... He, there was an X on the stage that he didn't move from. Right, okay. And uh, yeah, it was just... They were awful. They were awful. Oh, but they're no, just... That's they're just so they're awful. paying the bills. That's all they're doing. Thrills, but, spills and belly aches. You yeah. remember the album? I do, I do. And, 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 on, on, absolutely. And on record, they're fantastic. Live, it just doesn't come through. Not at all. The Mondays, they have a special place me at. <laughs> I just think they're, I just love them. When I first heard them, you know, it was like the Stone Roses and the Mondays. Yeah, I think yeah. it was the summer of 88, 89. And you just thought, yeah, this is different. Yeah. This is going somewhere that I want to go. That was, yeah, Paul Oakenfold was behind yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, And you remember when we were living in London, those, the raves in the countryside, you have to go into, into a car and follow somebody. Yeah. And go in Shropshire or somewhere. Bag of yolks. <laughs> Enough of that. Okay, how was your trip to London? Brilliant. Now, actually, speaking of performances, I went to see Hamilton. Myself and Emma went over, my daughter Emma, it was her 18th, so I brought it to see Hamilton, which was fantastic. And the interesting thing about Hamilton, because I knew nothing about him, but, but I'm sure you're going to tell me all about him, but he was the first in 1791. He was the first Secretary of the Treasury. Treasury. He was the Janet Yellen in tights. That's it. Yes. And he and he set up the first Central Bank of America, which only lasted 10 years because it was uh, voted down. Actually, do you know what, John? Will we do a podcast, this week's podcast on Hamilton? We'll do the economics of the first constitutional congress of the United States. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the dollar. We're going to talk about the banking system. We're going to talk about globalization. We're going to talk about how the Americans were the most innovative, the most innovative power at the time. And John, what we're going to do is we're going to make the case that financial innovation as orchestrated by Hamilton was what gave the new American Republic the edge over everybody else. Because amazingly, the Americans were one of the very few colonial countries that broke away from Britain 
mm. and their economy boomed afterwards. So what happened to us is we broke away from Britain and we had 70 years of nightmare stuff, right? Yeah. Right? The Americans broke away from Britain and very quickly their economy boomed. But that was because of Hamilton, wasn't it? That's what we'll talk about. Look, that's a, po- a podcast in Hamilton. <laughs> Probably, you know, the funny thing is I'm actually doing a bit of work on Hamilton at the moment. Oh, right. Excellent. Yeah, for, this, for this new tome I'm working on. Okay, so a podcast on the economics of Alexander Hamilton. Coming up. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, Mac. Here's a lyric from one of the tracks. So this is from the from the stage show. From the stage show. Okay. The ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter. And by 14, they placed him in charge of a trading charter. There you go. All of that is true, John. All of that is absolutely true. So, it, do you know it's funny? Sorry. It's, yeah, it, it, tell it's, me about the performance before we get into it. The performance is brilliant. Uh, and, and the show is fantastic. Really pacey. Music is really good. Uh, it's an all-black cast. Uh, yeah, and that which, was the big reveal, wasn't it? Yeah, when yeah, it, yeah. When which it was is in really, really interesting, actually. But the performance was brilliant. The stage is great. Really enjoyable. But... One thing I would say, if anyone's going to see it, just find out a little bit more about Hamilton before you see it. Because you're, yeah. you're trying to tune into all the lyrics and it's rap and it's quite pacey. So I was halfway through, I was turned to Emma going, huh, what, what do you say? Who's he again? Well, in that case, let us talk yes. about <laughs> Alexander maybe, Hamilton. Maybe this is your preferred. Let us talk about Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Interesting thing about the all black cast is it focuses your mind on one of the most atrocious parts of the American constitution. Two atrocious parts. Many, you know, mm. constitu- one was that Native Americans were not counted at all. Yeah, so yeah. there was a huge fight at the Constitutional Congress between the Federalists, who were Hamilton, yeah. and the Republicans, or what would come, become Republicans, who were many of the others, right? Yeah. And it was about who the hell is going to be represented. Are we going to do it on the statewide basis, or are we going to do it on headcount? Now, of course, if you did it on a head count, the states with the largest 
populations would dominate the states with the smallest ones. Okay. So they came up with this thing, you know, all this, this, all this electoral college stuff that we yes, get confused yeah, yeah, with. Yeah. It's all back from here. Right. So what they did was they decided that every state in the Senate would have two representatives, no matter how big the state is, which is why places like Dakota now have the same senatorial representation as New York and California, yes, right? yeah, yeah, which yeah, makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. But the representatives, the House of Representatives, would basically be on a head count. And then, of course, the big thing was how many people live in America. And, of course, at the time, there were more black people living in the South than there were white people. As we forget, there were more right. slaves than masters. Yeah. Right? But, of course, black people couldn't vote. They weren't even entertained yeah. that they were slaves. Yeah. It wasn't even entertained that they would be in the Congress. So despite all their fraternity and liberty and all that stuff, they had this thing called slavery, which they all upheld. Yeah. And they decided then, how did they decide how many black people were in America? It's an extraordinary thing. It's called the three-fifths majority. A black man and woman. Yeah. Was, or actually, maybe it was only a black man because they maybe only counted men at the time. Was counted as three-fifths of a human. What? Right? Now, this really? Is, so, so listen to this, right? This is the madness. Before we get into, before we get into Hamilton, right? Go on, The yeah. madness. And that's why playing him as a black man is an amazingly, it's just a revelatory act, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. So what they decided was, how are they going to count, you know, the difference between North Carolina, South Carolina, and New York, right? So let's say New York had 5 million people mm. at the time, and South Carolina had 2 million people, but 2 million white people. Yes. Okay? So they decided they would count the slaves, but they would only count them as three-fifths of a human. This is the truth, John, right? <laughs> so, but even worse was those three-fifths of humans added up to a representative who was white, so the black people were right. only counted as three-fifths, but all together, if there was a million of them, yeah. you would have had the equivalent of, let's say, 700,000 whites and they need a representative. So not only were they not representative, but they were used to actually create representative positions for racists. Jesus. That's how... Okay. So that, that's, a, that's a little bit... Yeah. But now, Hamilton. I, but actually, just before you go there, I always think that, you know, the way particularly the Republicans always harken back to the Constitution and the founding fathers as these wise old men type of thing. They were, they were old and they were white. But, and but, except for Benjamin Franklin but, and Thomas Jefferson, who mm. not only was a slave owner, but had children with his own slaves. Oh, right. Okay. So this was like, he was not only, and, and of course the slaves were really young. These girls were 14, 15. Yeah, These yeah, These men yeah, were yeah. 50. I mean, this is, this is. It's, Epstein territory. Oh, real Epstein territory. But yeah, the Americans always go on about the founding fathers. Yeah. As if they're as some, some sort of enlightened demigods. Well, I, I suppose they were enlightened in one way that they came up with a constitution. But if we, if we think about Hamilton, Hamilton was probably the cleverest of all of them. He was certainly the most economically savvy and he was self-taught, completely self-taught. So back to your poem about him. Mm. Hamilton was born in St. Kitts in the Caribbean. He That's wasn't right, even yeah. American, yeah. right? And he was born to a Scottish father and a French Huguenot emigrant mother. So he was brought up speaking French. His dad left when he was about three or four years old. His mother died when he was 11. Mm. So he was left on his own. And in those days, if you're an orphan, you're left on your yeah, own. Yeah. But he was such a brilliant writer, writer in English and in French, as a young kid, that he was spotted by a shipping company 
And the reason he was spotted by a shipping company is he wrote an amazing essay on a hurricane, detailing exactly where the winds were coming from, exactly how the seas were. And they thought, okay, this kid understands the world. He understands mm. the maritime world. We're going to give him a job. So all that is true. And not only did they give him a job, he wanted to go to college in America. It was an American company. Princeton yeah. rejected him because he wasn't posh enough. But the university that would become Columbia, right in the center of New York, accepted him. Right. And by the time he was 19, and of course, then this was all against the background of the Boston Tea Party. Mm. And the Boston Tea Party was a, over a thing about tax. That basically what the Brits did was they wanted to sell their very cheap tea from India to America, right? And the Americans said, now, hold on a second, hold on a second, we're not huge tea drinkers. Mm. But the Brits said, no, you have to drink it, right? <laughs> but, but what do you mean, and they, you're well, not huge tea and, drinkers? And, well, Everybody we, likes a yeah, cup of tea. tea no, but, and then we were going to tax it. We're going to tax it. The, yeah. Americans, the Americans said, we won't pay tax. So they ended up throwing all the tea in Boston Harbour, right? Yeah. But around that time, many, many young men, 19, 20-year-old men, were involving themselves in this anti-British, anti-colonial struggle. And Hamilton was an incredibly brilliant writer. And he was like a student activist, yeah, right? Yeah. And he was spotted by George Washington. And in the in the beginning, he was writing George Washington's speeches and translating for Washington with the French military attaches because the French were helping the American right, yes, colonialists, right? Yes, because yeah, the yeah. French were basically the other big power mm. against the Brits there. And he himself asked Washington, could he try his hand at being a soldier? So he was a pushy young fella. Right. And Washington said, yeah. And he gave him charge over a brigade of New York colonists. Yeah. And Hamilton was the first over the barricades at Yorktown. And Yorktown was the big decisive battle right. in the American Civil War, yeah. where General Cornwallis, the British general, was actually captured mm. and humiliated. And mm. that was the end of British rule. So that's the, the early start of his life is fascinating. Then he becomes an extraordinary agitator for various constitutional reforms. But much more interesting for me was his economic ideas, yeah, which yeah. were really mind-blowing. Because what had happened was, if you think of the American Revolution, right? The American Revolution, when they started the colonial militia, yeah. they had no money because they had no gold or silver, yeah. right? And interestingly, America had no gold or silver at the time, even though they would later discover huge amounts of gold in the gold rush. But that was 100 years later, yes, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they hadn't even gone out west at this stage, right? So the Americans had no gold or silver. They actually used the Spanish dollar for many, but they, they called it the dollar, but it was actually called a real, but they didn't want to call it a real because it sounded too Spanish. So they decided to call it the dollar. It's another right. story we can talk about in a second. All right. But what they did was they had no money to fight the war. They, nobody would lend them money because... People would have thought in financial markets, particularly in Holland at the time, who were lent to anybody, right? Because remember, we were talking mm. the Dutch were They thought, you know, who's going to win this? Britain is the big colonial power. Britain has all the supply lines. Britain has all the trade. Britain has London. Britain has the red coats. It's got a, an army that hadn't been defeated yeah. really anywhere. Yeah. These are this bunch of farmers and, you know, whoever. These are these bunch of Americans. Yeah. And most people thought- All immigrants. And most people thought, and they're kind of Brits anyway. Yes. Because, you know, it's kind of an inter-British row in the northeast or the east of the United States. Anyway, the long and the short is they won, but nobody would lend them any money. So they printed IOUs 
which were to be recouped after the war, called the Continentals. That's right, yes. Couldn't give a continent. That's where the expression came. Yeah. And of course, what happened was yes. the war was prolonged. They didn't have any money. They had to keep printing these things to pay the soldiers. And they experienced hyperinflation. So Hamilton is watching all this and saying to himself, okay, when we win this war, or if we win this war, what we're going to have is we're going to have a totally different economy. So they had a war economy to fight the mm. Brits. But then Hamilton said, okay, the most important thing when we're done with this is we have to create a stable economy where we have a stable currency, where we have a stable banking system, where we have a stable economy, and where the people then, the citizens, will say, okay, that was a revolution worth fighting. Mm. Because Hamilton's big fear was that the hyperinflation that they saw in the 1780s would endure into the 1790s. And after a while, Americans would say, well, what was the point of that revolution? Because we've no stability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he came in and changed. And of course, what was happening in France at the time freaked him out as well. Because the revolution. The French Revolution in yeah. Talleyrand, a man described by Napoleon as shit in silk stockings. <laughs> Can you imagine how bad you have to be to be described by Napoleon as shit in silk stockings? Okay? He's a great character, Talleyrand, right? He was overseeing hyperinflation in France. Yeah. He was also a Freemason bishop who fathered maybe a dozen children. Yeah, there's part of the course. That's the man. Yeah, yeah. The man Talleyrand, right? So Hamilton was looking at that and he came in and he said, okay, but there was a big, big battle going on between the Americans because some Americans like Jefferson, yeah, like Sam Adams and like Madison, who had written with Hamilton a thing called the Federalist Papers, which are the basis of the American Constitution, yeah. regarded America's future as this sort of Arcadian, rural, uncompromised by commerce, un... Yeah, and they, they believed in the power should be held in the state yes. as opposed to the country. Yeah, and Hamilton thought, no, and this is the big intellectual split between them. Yeah. Hamilton thought, no, look, we need to raise taxes. We need to actually have a standing army. We have enemies all over the world still. Yeah. We need a standing army. We need a strong federal executive in order for the strong federal executive to run the country. So you have, and you see this now with, I mean, this is this is basically the deep division in the United it's States. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of reverting back to that same schism, isn't it? Yeah, when you in, have the... In, in between Democrats and Republicans. And now. the crazy thing is that the Republicans were always this idea that the states, the individual states should be more powerful. Yeah. And then the Federalists, that was Hamilton's crowd, wanted each state to be subservient to the United States executive power, mm. the federal government. And how he did this was interesting. He deployed money as his weapon to centralize the United uh, States. How do you mean? So basically he said, okay, what we're going to have to do is, first of all, we're going to, we need a currency for this yeah. new country. So what's the currency going to be, right? We've just had hyperinflation, so we need a strong currency that people can believe in. But we don't have a currency, and we don't have any silver and gold to mint, so we're dependent on getting silver and gold from other people if we're going to have a silver-based currency. Right. The only currency at the time that was being produced in huge quantities was the Spanish Real, right? right? Because Spain took over, well, it didn't take over, it was hardly didn't go in and say, how are you doing, lads? We're just going to come in for a crack. The, Sp the Spaniards invaded and conquered Mexico, which is full of silver mines, mm. and Peru, which is full of gold mines. Yeah. So the, the currencies that were mainly in circulation in America at the time 
were Spanish, right? And the currencies that were made, the silver that was in circulation mainly in Europe at the time was called the Taylor, which right. we'll come back to in a second, right? And Hamilton said, okay, well, we need a strong currency. So when they decided to have the dollar, they tied the dollar to the Spanish real, but they called it the Spanish dollar. And this had been in circulation in the United States because the vast majority of the trade they were experiencing within the continent of the United States mm. was with Latin America. Right, so exactly. Mexican coins and Peruvian coins were in circulation. Yeah. So what the Americans did, and the Hamilton said, we need, a, we need a mint. But they, had no, they couldn't produce new coins, so they just basically took the old coins, smelted them down, and re-stamped them oh, as American right. coins, okay. right? So that was the first thing. That's the first dollar, right? right? Now, the name the dollar is interesting because... It's illegal. Anything is legal if you've got your own country. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you're taking somebody else's currency and so basically that's, debasing it. <laughs> but they couldn't. Well, so then they decided, okay, let's weigh all the silver content in the Spanish real and let's make sure it's exactly the same. And it came out at a bizarre, this is really deep nerdy stuff, uh, <laughs> 471 and a half grains of silver in every coin. So that is what the American dollar was. 471 and a half grains of silver. How in big every was the coin. grain? That now. That now. I got me, Go on, get, I got me get scales over nerdy. here for other stuff. You know what I mean? But so Hamilton was orchestrating all this. And then he said, okay, we have a dollar. Now, the reason they call it the dollar is interesting. Yeah, go on. So the, the expression the dollar comes from the German expression Taylor. And a thal means a valley in German. And the valley the they were... The geographical valley. Yeah, like a thal. Right. So, so that's, that's what it is. That's, what, that's the word. Right. A thal is, is what the Germans call a valley. And this comes from a place called Joachimsthal, which was now in Bohemia in the Czech Republic, right. where in the 16th century, a huge silver mine was discovered. And more, almost all the currency in circulation in Europe, the silver, came from that Joachim Thal. Right. But they couldn't call it Joachim Thal because it was too much. So they yeah. just called it Thal. Then they became Taylor and a Thaler, okay, in Germany. And that yeah. was the silver coin of Germany. And the Americans decided that Thaler sounds less Spanish. Now, why were they against the Spaniards? Because the Americans were actually Brits in the first place. Yes. So their mortal enemy was... The of course. Yeah. So circling in America was this thing called the Spanish dollar, even though the Spanish never referred to it because the Yanks, although they used the Spanish money, couldn't refer to it yeah. as Spanish money because that would give the Spanish a bit of preeminence. <laughs> right, okay. right. So they called it the dollar, right? right? And uh. that's the first thing he did. Second thing he does is, oh, and all the while he's writing these things called the Federalist Papers because what happens was, so the American had this second constitutional convention. They said, okay, well, we're going to have this thing and we're going to have the, the Senate and it's going to have two members from every state and then we're going to have some representatives. But then they had to go and get this ratified by all the states, right? Mm. The 13 breakaway states, as the Brits would call them. And Hamilton got to work as, again, he was a brilliant writer, so he got to work in trying to convince people through pamphlets. Because the pamphlets were the most yeah. important. Yeah. They were like the they were like the Twitter of the day, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, this know, was a big part of the um, Oh, was it a big part of, of the show? Yeah, is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. How brilliant a writer he was. Yeah. And and how he he won. Hamilton actually comes across as being a real arrogant twat. Does he? Yes, he does. Yeah. And also incredibly condescending. You know, because he was such a great writer. And, and an orator. Uh, yeah. And he was clever. Yes. And he, he also... And this but he was, knew it. That was the thing. Yeah, but also what I quite like about it, because he was born poor, and the vast majority of the American revolutionaries were born rich, 
right? Right. Okay? So they were they were middle class people, yeah. right? He had this real battle that they never accepted him on their terms, so he had to humiliate them. Yeah. Yeah, basically say, you know, I've actually got it all going on and you don't. Yeah. So there's a bit of that going on too. There's a Trump about him. <laughs> oh, please, John. <laughs> so the amazing thing then, so is Hamilton writes the Federal Papers with a guy called Madison, James yeah. Madison, right? Yeah. The Federalist Papers basically the blueprint for the American Constitution. And they were the ones that came up with this separation of powers that is deep in our Republican Constitution between the powers. So you've got the people who make the laws are separate from the government, okay? Right, yes. All that yeah. sort of idea, right? Yeah. And if you're a lawyer, it's something with the legislature and the executive or whatever. But it's the, it's the fundamental basis why the Supreme Court should be independent, okay, and should not be interfered with by the politicians because the Supreme Court interprets the good book, which is the Constitution, and they should always be separate. So it's a separation of powers between the government yeah. and the, and the, and yeah. the courts. So yeah. This is all Hamilton's ideas. Like one guy, which is really quite phenomenal. What was, what was Washington's role in all this? I know Washington supported him in his idea for the, the central bank, but... Washington was a politician. I think what happened to Hamilton was more, as you said, of a thinker and a writer and an orator and kind of an intellectual. Mm. Washington was always playing the angles because he was a politician, right, okay. you know? But there's a great thing called the Whiskey Revolution. Was that in the play? Um, was it? Okay, so I'll tell you. So there's this big battle going on amongst... It's a bit like everybody, you know, you, you win the Civil War, you win the war, and then you realise you've nothing in common with the other lads. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. So they all splinter, right? But the big thing is, again, is between the Federalists and the Republicans. And, and this is the big battle ongoing in the United States. So our friend Hamilton is faced with one thing that he thinks is a great opportunity because he's trying to get all this stuff done, right? The central bank and all this stuff. Mm. But he needs the federal state to impose their will on the militias. And he sees his opportunity in the Whiskey Rebellion of 1792. So in Pennsylvania, in rural Pennsylvania, the local people had their own moonshine. So everyone had a little pot still making their own whiskey. Mm. And Hamilton said, okay, we're going to tax whiskey, right? Because we need to create a tax system in order to have the income to actually build the Federal Republic. And of course, the fellas making whiskey said, uh, uh, I yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what they said. Or the late 17th century equivalent, or 18th century equivalent, I are, right? So this is when Hamilton gets Washington on side. And Hamilton says to Washington, look, man, you're faced with a rebellion here, Right. Washington, of course, is prevaricating because he's a politician and saying, like, which way is, yeah. which way is the cookie going to crumble here? You know, I don't want to go. And Hamilton says, look, if you want a federal republic, you have to go out and stamp these people out and you're going to show them who's boss, which means you've got to turn their own army on themselves, mm. the American army on the American people. Now, this is coming within a decade of having fought for the American people. Yeah. So, well, these mistakes are very high. They don't seem high to us now. But Washington did go with them. And it was, that was the moment where people realized, okay, these guys, the feds mean business. Mm. And the feds always mean business, right? So then Hamilton says, okay, well, what we need is we have our currency. We need a central bank. Yes. Right? Why do we need a central bank? Because we need somebody to step in because basically we're in a chaotic economy. We need something to stabilize. So he sets up the central bank, right? Which, by the way, can I just interject there, which was set up in 1791 on the 12th of December. So, oh, we're very timely, John. <laughs> there you go. There you go. 230 years. It's a long time. It's there a long, go. long time. And 
for economics nerds and market nerds out there, he did something also very interesting. Not only did he set up a central bank, because basically the central bank could lend to the government. Mm. And that was the key. It was based on the Bank of England model. Right, yeah, But it was yeah, yeah. 80% privately owned. So what they did was they basically, they, well, the government didn't own it. They oh. set it up in the private sector. So the private sector could lend to the government. It meant the government could always have money as long as the private sector would lend to it. But, and this is the basis of the Federal Reserve. But does that not mean then that the central bank has some sort of clout over the And the that's what Hamilton wanted. Government. Because Hamilton had seen the central government print all the money for the Continentals. So we, won't, we don't want to go back there. So we don't want these guys going printing the money. Right. So we're going to have a hard currency based on these 400 and odd grams of silver. Yeah. The Americans never printed money again for about another 100 years. That's the amazing thing, right? They right. always had this silver standard. Right. right, okay. That's the first thing. Second thing he said, we need a central bank to lend to the government so the government can actually go and spend money, but it can't print money. So it's got to spend money, then it's got to raise taxes, and then with those taxes, it's got to pay back the interest rate to those investors. Right, that yeah, was the, gotcha, gotcha. That was, that's, that's yeah. the Bank of England model, yeah. right? Original, not now, mm. original. And then he said, okay, but we really need to control public debt. So he understood profoundly sort of Dutch and British model that national debt is the key to stability. If your national debt is stable, you can borrow from abroad, the government has a stable source of income, investors trust you, your citizens trust you, and ultimately what you have is the core of a vibrant economic system. Right. Yeah. And he said, how we're going to do this is we're going to set up a sinking fund and we're going to stabilize the national debt. What's a sinking fund? So basically what we're going to say to the national bank is you're going to make profits every year. Yeah. But a little bit of that profit, you're going to set aside like a rainy day fund. Right, okay. And we're yeah. going to pay down the national debt. Now, what that did, that sent out signals to investors that the Americans are serious about keeping their debt under control. Very important thing. Mm. And also, he was quite tricky, with the money from the national debt and the sinking fund, the alleged rainy day fund, he then decided, I'm going to use a bit of this to smooth out irregularities in financial markets, right? So basically at the time, there were two big financial crashes in the early 1790s in the United States. Okay. And Hamilton said, we need a lender of last resort. We need somebody to come in here and bail out investors and our punish people. We need to smooth out these fluctuations. And under the guise of the sinking fund to control the national debt, I will take this fund and I will play around with the markets. So he was creating exactly what we know now to be central banks. But this is hundreds, about 100 years before yes. central banks. Yeah, he was yeah. miles ahead of his time. So what you see in Hamilton is an amazingly brilliant economic mind at work. But hang on a second. Ten years after he set it up, yeah. Congress voted it down again. They did. And they disbanded the, the central bank. And they, they disbanded what was called Bank of America. It's called the National Bank yeah. of America. And then, of course, America... Then what happened, though? Floundered for a while. Floundered right. for a while because it didn't have this centralised mm. banking system, right? But why did and they vote it down? Because of that or, Republican Federalist agenda. It was, it was, it it was, was still... It was politics, yeah. Right. It was politics, right? Uh, I think, I think, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I think it was all to do with that ongoing battle between right. Hamilton. And then, of course, the fucker gets killed in a duel. Yes, he did. With your man Burr, wasn't Burr, he? Burr, you see, the problem, Hamilton had a problem. He couldn't keep his lad in his trousers. Yes. That was his weakness, yeah. right? And he had an affair with a Mrs. Reynolds, right? Yeah. And Mrs. Reynolds 
what had happened was Hamilton, again, you're talking one of these guys, they're kind of egomaniacs, right? Yeah. And Hamilton had been- He ac- certainly was. Yeah, he'd been accused and slandered. Himself and Burr were big enemies, right? Mm. And, and he, Burr was a, a mate of Jefferson's as well. Yeah, and he was the vice president. Yeah. The vice president killed the treasury secretary. <laughs> it's like Kamala Harris killing Janet Yellen. <laughs> that, and it all happened. Yeah. It all happened. It'd be like Leo Veranker having a pop at Pascal. Yeah, having a duel with Pascal and killing him. Like, it's all mad, you know? I mean, the big thing about American history, it's really, it's, That's it's mad, phenomenal, yeah. right? So they were sl- <laughs> these two were slagging each other off, right? They were like having a Twitter war. I can imagine yeah. Burr and thinking, you did this. You know, these agents who have Twitter wars. Like, yeah. I don't like you. No, you don't like me. I think you're a twat yeah. on Twitter. Like, Do your research. Do your research. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know? And I, I've, I've regularly been subject to it. Like these agents, just like, get away, man. Yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so they're having a Twitter spot. <laughs> and Burr says, all very well, Mr. Hamilton. But we know you're corrupt, Hamilton. You've been involved in some some scandal yeah. with 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 another guy called Dewar, D E U R, right? Who tried to corner the American market in government securities. But that's a different issue, right? Yeah, yeah. This is all going on at the same time. Anyway, the long and the short of it is, Hamilton comes out and, being the real sort of honourable character, but kind of ego, egomaniac, says, "Not only am I not corrupt, but yes, I am having an affair with Mrs. Reynolds, right? Because Mrs. Reynolds." Husband was accusing. Right. So this is going down all the time. They're all shouting and roaring at each other. <laughs> Burr says, in order to defend your honor, you have to come out and have a duel with me. Yeah. And Hamilton says, yeah, fine. Assuming that both men would actually aim in the air or aim to. Be. That's right. That was that was the big thing. It was to shoot up in the air. Yeah. And the fucker Burr killed him. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> and that's how he died. You've just given away the end of the show. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you asked me to do it. We killed, by the way, it is it's true. I, by the way, I, look, I don't always know all this stuff about Hamilton, but I'm actually just doing some work at the moment yeah. on, on that foundational economic resource, the American Republic. But it is fascinating. It really is fascinating. Yeah. And how, how much and how little has changed since then. Completely. Completely. Like, you see, for example, now, you see, as you said, the sort of Trumpian drain the swamp, anti-Feds yeah. uh, approach. We're standing for liberty and we're basing our stand on liberty on the Constitution. Yeah. Right? And they're going right back. Yeah. And then you have this sort of Hamiltonian people who are now, who actually morphed into the Democratic Party. It's yes. weird the way, the yeah. way, the yeah. way it happened, yeah. you know? So that's all going on. You also have the amazing way in which Americans regard money. So a couple of decades after this, a guy called Alexis de Tocqueville, a French aristocrat, Mm. went to the United States. And it's an amazing book. He's just observations about American life. But what he does make the point is the Americans are really obsessed with money. And he's making this point in the 1820s and 1830s, like a long time before America, as we know, Mm. materialized into the country it is. And I think that a lot of that goes down to the Hamiltonian obsession with getting all the banking system right and getting finance right and getting the lending and the securities market and all that sort of stuff. And then you, so you can see that he had an extremely profound impact on the United States. And he won the battle over Jefferson, even though he is much less known. Yes, yeah. Because Jefferson was ultimately the main Republican and his idea was the Americans would 
can cut themselves off from the world. Splendid isolation. Mm. But Hamilton's idea was, no, we will become a world power. And he predicted to Talleyrand, the shite in silk stockings, <laughs> who was a mate of his, right? Because right. Talleyrand yes. had to get out of France very quickly. When the guillotine started chopping heads, Talleyrand yeah, yeah, said, I'm yeah. out of here, man. And he went to America. <laughs> I'll grab I'll, my silk stockings and... <laughs> and I'll, I'll get my coat <laughs> for... and I'm taking off to America. But Talleyrand writes that Hamilton in the early 1790s was saying, this republic is going to be bigger financially than anybody else. We're going to be the dominant world power. And nobody at the time thought that would be possible. Yeah. And he said, we're going to do it through economics. So, you know, that's why that's he's- a, quite a vision. Yeah. yeah. Given the state of America at the time, you know, they hadn't even gone out west at that stage, yeah. as, as you just mentioned earlier. And, so, this is, and this is a guy who'd no formal education. That's yes, the fascinating yeah. thing. This is a guy who was abandoned by his father. His mum dies. He has to sort himself out. He gets to college. He's no economic education at all that we know of. So these ideas, he was, since he had no economic education, he was just observing what was going on in the UK and... On Holland. Holland, Holland. yeah. Uh, The interesting thing was that most American thinkers, you would have thought, would get more, more of their... They'd feel at home with the French revolutionaries because they mm. were they were Republicans. So you would think that most American thinkers at the time would have felt more at home with the French Revolution. Mm. Because after all, A, they had just fought Britain, and Britain is France's mortal enemy. B, the French were all around them. We forget this. The French yeah. owned half of America. Yeah. So they were dealing with the French all the time. The French owned half of America. It's called the Louisiana Parcel, right? But it went from Louisiana all the way to Montreal. All the centre of the states, right, mm. was all French-owned. And by the way, actually, our friend Jefferson did the greatest deal in the world. He bought that for $15 million from Napoleon. Ooh, that was a good deal. That was a good deal. Was so, it seen as a good deal at the time? I think it was seen as a bit of a steal at the time because <laughs> Napoleon was trying to fight all over the place, right? But back to Hamilton. He seems to have been more instrumental in getting the Americans to think in the way they do think now yeah. than anybody else. And maybe that's why he was being resuscitated now in, in plays and he's been reconsidered and his impact has been re-examined because unlike the more celebrated ones, he probably wasn't that heroic an individual. Yeah. He was more of a functional, practical individual. But the story is fascinating. And thank you, John, for coming in this afternoon and giving me the opportunity to spiel out about There you go. Ta-da! We'll see you next week. Jonas Crimbo, here's the sales pitch. You can get, can you imagine anything better than this? You can get 12 months Patreon subscription to the Dave McQueen's podcast, which is two podcasts ad-free every week. You get two macroeconomic courses. The economic courses I give in Trinity, more or less online. Which are humdingers. Which are humdingers, okay, which we actually won a prize. Indeed. We won a prize. Indeed. Swati Teacher of the Year. But we get all the reading lists. You know the reading lists I go on about? All the reading lists, the lecture notes, videos, the whole thing. And you get these, we're going to introduce this year, an online Q&A. Once a fortnight, I'm going to answer the questions that people have. This is all on Patreon. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, no, it will be really good. And it'll, it'll create a, a huge community of people. And this is all on Patreon. And you get a 10% discount if you sign up in December. So that's patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. And if you sign up now to Patreon, you get 12 months 
for the price of 11 months for an annual subscription and or you can look at it by getting 10% off for the whole thing and the key thing is it's not just the podcast it's the learning it's the community it's the engagement it's all together we're going to go up a level yeah. in 2022 do you know what as well it's a bloody brilliant Christmas present you're absolutely right planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.